Another week, another superhero movie has successfully premiered. All of the comic book television shows are on hiatus after a week of season finales. And now we all just sit and wait for Spider-Man Homecoming, San Diego Comic-Con, and then The Defenders. <sighs> okay, I'm, I'm a little distracted. I'm on Twitter right now, of course. Um, I'm talking and reading at the same time. Okay, I, I didn't plan on even talking about this at all, but this is too... I don't know if it's even funny or if it's good. I, do, I don't know, but apparently Sony's PlayStation division is working on a virtual reality project based on the hit TV series Breaking Bad. Because what the gaming community was really missing was a way to learn how to make meth so you don't hurt yourself when you do it in real life. And then every time you get a new high score, the DEA pulls up to your house. Oh my god. I'm very interested to see in what direction this goes. Um, huh. Okay. Actually, you know what? I, I can make this work. Speaking of Breaking Bad, awesome transition point for Ross. Sean Curran, who has been on this show before, and he's also part of the Shop Talk podcast, which I had the amazing pleasure of sitting in on this week. We had an absolute blast. Definitely go check it out. You can find it on iTunes. He proposed Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul's Bob Odenkirk as J. Jonah Jameson, and I am completely in love with this. Now, listen, I typically don't like to do fan castings based on appearance alone, but the picture he had of Odenkirk as J. Jonah Jameson was just spot on. If you want to see it, I did retweet it, so a quick scroll through my Twitter timeline and you'll see it. It is absolute money. Surprisingly, quite a bit to talk about today. So let's just dive in. This is the rundown. Wonder Woman eclipsed $220 million at the international box office during its opening weekend and is currently predicted to pull in at least 50 million more in its second weekend domestically. The film had a production budget of 150 million, which it has obviously already surpassed. Staying on Wonder Woman, director Patty Jenkins confirmed she will be back for the sequel, which she would like to see take place during the 1930s. This has also sparked rumors that Cheetah will be the main antagonist, although there has been no official confirmation and should only be treated as a rumor. Legends of Tomorrow is adding a member of the Shazam family for Season 3. Tala Ash has been cast as a series regular to play Zari Andriana Tomez, aka Isis, who is an embodiment of an Egyptian goddess and at times the wife of Black Adam. It will certainly be interesting to see if they use the name Isis on the show itself or just go with Adriana Tomez. Universal's Dark Universe is adding more monsters to their Monsterverse. We already know The Mummy, Dracula, Invisible Man, Frankenstein, The Bride of Frankenstein, Jekyll and Hyde, and The Creature from the Black Lagoon will be part of the massive ensemble. According to director and producer Alex Kurtzman, The Phantom of the Opera and The Hunchback of Notre Dame will be joining the mix as well. X-Men franchise producer Hutch Parker says Gambit is still in their plans. When asked, he said, quote, It is, it is. I don't have news on that, 
but there's still a desire and passionate interest to see that movie made. Take it for what it's worth. Finally, Rick Flag actor Joel Kinnaman says the script for Suicide Squad 2 is being written. Quote, As far as I know, they're writing the script, and I think the plan is to shoot it in sometime in 2018, but that could change. I think I'll definitely come back for it. He also went on to say that he hopes David Ayer returns to direct it. That's the rundown. A few of the topics I want to get to today are the argument on whether or not there is too much Tony Stark in Spider-Man Homecoming, my Wonder Woman reaction, which I saw this past weekend, but first I want to touch on Sony's Spider-Verse. Let's go ahead and decipher what we know from fact and what is just rumor. We are getting a movie about Silver Sable and Black Cat called Silver and Black. We know that Thor Ragnarok's Chris Yost wrote the most recent script draft. We know that Gina Prince-Bythewood is now set to direct the project. And outside of Tom Hardy being cast as Eddie Brock in the Venom spinoff, that's literally all we know. That's it. So let me repeat this. Anything else you've likely heard about Sony's Spider-Verse, or whatever they're calling it, is probably just garbage or a rumor that has not been confirmed by anyone. Now, the initial rumors come from a site called Splash Report. I am not familiar at all with Splash Report, but they say here that they received a hot tip mm, from one of their sources concerning the Silver and Black project. And then at the bottom it says, the scoop was sent in by Colonel George Dillon. The only George Dillon that I know is my grandpa, and I can assure you he did not send in this hot tip. So I'm going to read this hot tip for you guys, word for word. Seven years after Robot Master and his two henchmen, Scorpion and Tarantula, killed her father, Silver Sable is back and she's been hired by the government to find Felicia Hardy. The Black Cat, a master hacker and thief, has apparently stolen valuable secret information. She's hiding in the lawless and dangerous triple frontier between Argentina and Brazil. Once there, Sable asks her old contact, the Chameleon, to locate her. But it seems the government are not the only ones looking for Black Cat. It seems Felicia has made some kind of deal to save her father from a Russian prison, and she's been genetically enhanced. Now the mad scientist wants his prize experiment back because his financier, cough cough Norman Osborne, wants a return on his investment. Dominique Fortune, Jessica Drew, AKA Spider-Woman, Roxon Oil, Craven the Hunter, Lonnie Lincoln, a.k.a. Tombstone, all join Silver and Black. Now, for those of you wondering, none of this whatsoever takes place within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Sony is kind of uh, branching off and doing their own little thing. I don't know what they're calling it. I think the people around them are calling it the Sony Spider-Verse. Um, without Spider-Man, but as we just heard in the trailer, we will be getting Spider-Woman. 
Now, I can't stress this enough that all of that is just pure speculation and rumor. Like said, George Dillon, as far as I know, is not a credible source. I've never even heard of Splash Report, so I don't know if they're a credible source. I feel like I've been in the game long enough to where if they were a credible source, I probably would have a little bit more information on them. But nevertheless, we can't say it's not true because stuff like this has turned out to be true in the past. I just want to give that disclaimer because it's likely not going to be true. Now, the most important thing that I took away from that is a lot of our favorite Spider-Man characters will not be in the MCU, and that's going to leave a lot of people disappointed, including myself. I was really excited to see uh, Norman Osborn join that universe. I really, really, really wanted a uh, follow-up to Homecoming to feature Kraven the Hunter because I feel like Marvel Studios could do him justice. It's such an awesome character, and I really don't want to be let down by Sony. I do give Sony props for using two female comic book characters as their lead. And, and again, I, I want to put this out there because I don't want people to think I'm hating on Sony because I'm not. I personally am thrilled to death we're getting these characters put on the live screen. Uh, it's kind of like a childhood come to life in some cases. I just want it to be done right. Uh, I think Sony has been given kind of a bad rap for their Spider-Man movies. Uh, let's look at the first two with Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man 1 and Spider-Man 2, arguably two of the best superhero movies ever made. And that's coming from critic review and fan review. I didn't care for Spider-Man 3. Uh, I liked parts of it, don't get me wrong, but I didn't care for it overall. The Amazing Spider-Man 1 with Andrew Garfield, I didn't mind that at all too. I actually enjoyed it. Uh, the Amazing Spider-Man 2 I thought was a little bit of a cluster and I didn't care for it quite as much, but I don't think it deserves all the negative, harsh criticism that it currently receives. Again, that's not saying that, hey, you can't enjoy this or dislike that or whatever. These are just my opinions. A lot of people aren't even familiar with Black Cat, let alone Silver Sable. Um, Black Cat, I believe, was introduced in The Amazing Spider-Man back in 1979. I don't recall what issue. It came before issue 200. I do know that. Silver Sable, uh, I believe, was introduced in the mid-80s, and it came after issue 200, somewhere far after issue 200. Uh, I obviously don't know what exact issue that is, too. Um, oh, to, it's at uh, issue 265. I do know. Don't ask me how I knew that. Random trivia. Uh, anyway, she's also worked with Spider-Man on multiple occasions. Uh, she's a mercenary. She's faced off against Peter Parker. Uh, she's a martial artist. And she also runs a company that targets a lot of different, uh, well, mainly war criminals, but I guess criminals in general would work. But if you thought that was the only hot tip that Sir Colonel George Dillon provided us, you are in for a treat. Colonel George came back about a week later and provided us with some new information that gives us a glimpse into the future of the Sony Spider-Verse, or whatever they're calling it. Let's see what hot tip he provided us this time. In a world where all studios are now making their own cinematic universes, Silver and Black is the setup for an all-female Spideyverse team-up movie. It ends with Silver Sable, a la Nick Fury, rounding up a team of the Black Cat, Jessica Drew, Charlotte Witter, a.k.a. Stunner, Sarah Arrett, Jackpot, 
and Cassie St. Commons, a.k.a. Dusk. Sony Pictures brings you something Avengers-like title. So the internet, of course, is in an absolute uproar because there is too much. And yes, uh, it hurts me to say this. There is too much Tony Stark in the Spider-Man Homecoming trailer. This is something that I never thought anybody would ever complain about. And to be quite honest, I don't understand the complaint. And I am totally going to side with Marvel and Sony on this one. Let us remember right now. Let's just get it out in the open. Robert Downey Jr. is not going to be playing Tony Stark forever. I know that completely goes against movie fandom to talk about what happens if they have to recast a role. Oh my gosh. Well, it's going to happen. Robert Downey Jr. is pulling in $50 million to star in a Marvel movie. Now, I don't think he quite got that to appear in Spider-Man because um, it's just, from what I've been told, a very, 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 very glorified cameo. I think that most of the scenes that we've actually seen in the trailer that include Tony Stark, outside of a few extra ones, that's probably going to be about it. This is definitely a Spider-Man movie from what I've been told. Granted, I could be wrong. But anyway, back to my original point. At some point in the future, maybe the near future, I don't know, Robert Downey Jr. is going to stop playing Tony Stark. Now, I think everybody in the comic book community can agree that Robert Downey Jr. made Tony Stark what he is today. Before Iron Man came out in 2008... Iron Man, the comic book character, was, I mean, I, I guess maybe a B-list character, maybe, an, maybe a low A-, minus, but he definitely wasn't emphasized on in a lot of the comics. Now he's the centerfold. He's everywhere. When you read an Iron Man comic or Civil War comic or Civil War II, whatever you read, if it has Iron Man in it, you're reading that character in your head as Robert Downey Jr., Unless you've been invested in the character way before Robert Downey Jr. ever took over the role. But if you became interested in the character and started reading it around that time or after, you're reading that character in your head as Robert Downey Jr. There aren't many characters where you can say they totally embellished the role. They, they took their literature counterpart to an entirely new level that the studio or the company never even dreamed as possible. Robert Downey Jr. has always been an incredible actor. But I think it's fair to say that the role of Tony Stark all of a sudden hurled him in to the conversation, and I'm not saying he's at the top of the conversation, but he is in it now. They hurled him into the conversation of best actor in the world. And that was because of Tony Stark, which he rightfully deserved because he is Tony Stark. He embellishes everything that the character stands for. Uh, and I think we're going to get even deeper into that character, maybe a little bit more into the dramatic side of that character come Infinity War. But besides the point, I have never met a person that says, you know who I wish was Iron Man? That's never been in a conversation that I've been in. And I've been in hundreds of these comic book conversations. I just realized how 
terribly I sounded like Donald Trump there. But it's the truth. I have conversations with people every day about this. And, hey, you know who I want to play Iron Man? That's never been included in it. Because we all know that Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark. But, just like every other character in Hollywood, eventually that time runs out. So, from my perspective, instead of, uh, you know, tossing out the funny memes, you know, Iron Man 4 or Iron Man Homecoming, which, I, I listen, I think they're funny. Uh, I find all that stuff very funny, but instead of doing that, maybe we should embrace every chance we get to see Robert Downey Jr. play Tony Stark, including in Spider-Man Homecoming. Now listen, we saw in Civil War, they set this up. They set up Tony Stark to be the mentor character of Peter Parker. We knew this was coming. We knew this was coming. And I have more points to get to in a few seconds about why we should just embrace that Tony Stark is in this movie and hope that he's in it as much as possible. But we knew this dynamic was coming between Peter and Tony. So I don't understand why people are upset now. It was announced, I believe, before Civil War even came out that Tony Stark would be in Spider-Man Homecoming. And as soon as they announced it, everybody kind of knew exactly where that was going. So why the surprise now? We don't know how it's going to play out between Tony and Peter. Sure, we've seen in the trailers that it looks like uh, Spider-Man is going to start off with, you know, uh, a new suit, or I guess the same suit from Civil War with some upgraded Stark technology. And then, you know, he's going to uh, do that whole, uh, what is it, the fairy scene where the fairy's split in half and he's holding it together. Tony Stark comes in and helps him. Next thing you know, they're on the bridge and they're talking and Tony's like, hey, you know what? Give me the suit back. You're not ready. So then the rest of the movie, Peter Parker goes back to his old school self-made Spider-Man costume. And then at the very end, more than likely, people are, are, are saying that uh, Peter Parker will win back the trust of Tony Stark after he defeats the Vulture or Shocker or wh whatever direction they may go in, and then Tony Stark gives him his suit back, and into Infinity War we skip. But we don't know. I mean, listen, guys. Marvel Studios has been very damn good with their movies and their trailers. Why all of a sudden are we not trusting them? Why all of a sudden are we saying, oh, you're giving away way too much in the trailer? Why? We don't know. We don't know. Listen, if it comes down to it when the movie drops and we had the plot figured out all along based on the trailers, sure, we can start dropping this. But nothing in Marvel's past has said, you know what? I think I know what's going to happen in this trailer. No, nobody's complained about this. So why are we all of a sudden doing it? And why are we doing it with Marvel's golden boy, Tony Stark and Robert Downey Jr.? It makes zero sense to me. Let me jump into my next point real quick. The reason that I believe Tony Stark is so heavily featured in these trailers is because we have to remember, this is a Marvel Studios and Sony production. Meaning, I, I, again, I don't know what the deal is here, but I'm assuming it's probably something close to a split where they split the total uh, box office revenue or income, you know, after the production costs are all covered. I'm assuming that's what it is. Again, I don't know for certain. But that means that they've got to make a lot of money on this for both sides to see a very good return on investment. So what in your mind 
is the way to get people to buy tickets and go see this movie many times. What would be a good selling point for that? Hmm. Oh, I know. Tony Stark. Listen, I have no doubt that just having Marvel Studios and name Tasha's Spider-Man Homecoming would have sold a lot of tickets. It probably would have been done very well in the box office. Probably easily over $100 million. And that, that's just my first assessment right now that may be a little high. Uh, again, that's assuming we're doing this movie without Tony Stark. But with Tony Stark, that adds a lot of money. Uh, I, I don't know what projection that holds, but I would say that at least adds an extra 20 to $25 million onto the opening weekend international box office. That's actually a lowball number. It probably would be higher internationally. So it only makes sense financially for them to add a huge draw into the first movie with this new Spider-Man. That draw being Tony Stark and Robert Downey Jr. Say what you want. It's a brilliant move by both Sony and Marvel Studios. <laughs> it's genius. Now they're both going to profit. And as a Marvel Studios fan... People who were all along begging, you know, hey, we, that would be so awesome to see Spider-Man, you know, join the MCU. Believe me, we just talked about Sony's Spideyverse. There is a very good chance that Spider-Man ends up back with Sony. Strictly Sony. Meaning, whatever they have planned for Spider-Man in the future, which I believe right now would be a... We have Homecoming... Uh, the two Avengers movies, and then a sequel to Homecoming. Anything after that would be gone. No more Spider-Man in the MCU. Because believe me, the talks are happening. Sony knows what they have on their hands. Now that they see what all these other studios like DC, you know, whether you want to call it successful or not, it's still a good example. Marvel Studios, they see what they've done with their cinematic universe. And you have all these amazing characters. Just with Spider-Man alone. We look at Batman in DC Comics and all of his iconic villains. That is what Spider-Man is to Marvel. And Sony holds the rights to all of that. Of course they're going to try to get the explicit rights to that character back. It's a guarantee that they're going to try. So... How do you prevent that from happening? Well, first things first, you have to make sure Sony gets a huge profit on Spider-Man Homecoming. You absolutely have to. Because if they see that, if they see, hey, well, you know what? We're really not doing any work on this. Hmm. We're, we're not putting hardly any money into this. And meanwhile, we're making a fortune off of it. You know what? Just leave the character there. We, we'll continue on with these other side Spider-Man characters. Leave Spider-Man with Marvel. You know, that's fine. We'll figure something out. We'll go with Spider-Woman. Which I think is awesome, by the way. I didn't mention that in the last segment. I really hope that does work out because Spider-Man and Jessica Drew, it's a great character. And it's time that she sees the light of day in the cinematic sense. But another point that I wanted to touch on. Was it not that long ago? That it was actually three years ago. Let's call it three years ago. Everyone was dying to get Spider-Man in the MCU. 
just like we are right now with Fantastic Four, except it was double that for Spider-Man, if not triple. Everybody wanted to see that. After The Amazing Spider-Man 2 wasn't necessarily a big hit, everybody says, okay, Spider-Man's got to go back to Marvel now. It's time. Everybody was fighting for it. There were petitions. There were multiple petitions. And they all had thousands and thousands of signatures. Bring Spider-Man back to Marvel. Put him in the MCU. If I would have told you three years ago, if I would have said, hey, I'm from the future. I've got some good news. Here in about three years, Spider-Man is not only going to be back with Marvel, but he's going to have a cameo, a good glorified cameo, in Captain America Civil War. But wait, there's more. A year later, Spider-Man's going to get his own solo movie. And it's going to be with Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr., and Spider-Man on screen at the same time. The world would have collectively lost their sh**. And rightfully so. We should be losing our sh** right now because we have this. Listen, I, I don't care if there's a lot of Tony Stark in this. We, we have to remember, three years ago, this was a pipe dream. Where is that excitement now? Because the Spider-Man movie isn't done exactly how we see fit. Go back three years. Talk to yourself three years ago. Yourself three years ago would smack the shit out of you now for saying that. Like I said before, and I'll end on this. If it so happens that early July rolls around and everybody sees that they were right that we had this plot all figured out. I should say we, I should say you all, because I don't, I don't know. I'm going in completely empty-minded on this because I want to. If you all see that the only value Tony Stark brought to this movie was simply to increase total profits on opening weekend or DVD sales, or I shouldn't say opening weekend, the entire theatrical run is what I should be saying. But if that turns out to be the case, I will gladly eat my words, as I always say I will. I have absolutely no problem saying that, because if you've seen me in person, you know that I enjoy to eat. There's no way I could possibly record a podcast this week without talking about Wonder Woman. I will give you a warning when the spoilers start. As of now, I can give a spoiler-free review. Don't mind that can opening. It's just me cracking open a cold one with the boys. But instead of boys, it's just me because the alcohol helps hide the loneliness. <laughs> Anywho, I had the pleasure of seeing Wonder Woman this past weekend. And I do mean pleasure because I highly enjoyed it. I will say this though. I don't think I enjoyed it as much as what the critics seem to have, but I completely understand their excitement as well as everyone else's. I think on Rotten Tomatoes, it currently sits at a 9.4 out of 10 critically. Maybe I'm not sure what it is um, with a fan score, but as far as that 9.4 score, I would probably give it an 8 to an 8.5, more than likely an 8.5. 
So there's not a huge difference there. And I will start off by saying a lot of the disappointment was just expectations that I had set myself. There were a few things that I didn't care for necessarily, and I won't address those until we get into the spoiler section. So until then, let's keep it spoiler free. What did I like? Uh, Gal Gadot, and yes, I've learned that is actually how you pronounce it. It's Gadot. Gal Gadot absolutely embodies everything that Wonder Woman should. Patty Jenkins absolutely directed the Wonder Woman film that we need right now with the state of the cultures that we live in. And I say cultures, multiple. Without giving too much away, I think what I enjoyed the absolute most about this film was the way the character of Diana was written. When I think of the character of Wonder Woman, from the comics, cartoons, whatever, when I think of Wonder Woman, I think of a character that feels a bit isolated. Now, obviously, that sounds really stupid because she was isolated for a huge portion of her life on Themyscira. That's not a spoiler unless you don't know Wonder Woman's origins. But if you're listening to this, I assume you do. So moving on. I, I feel a sense of isolation from her, but the care, the need to help every single individual she comes across... That is also what I feel when I think about Wonder Woman from a personality standpoint. Now, the way they wrote this character was exactly that. So that was a huge, huge point move going into the movie for me. And when you see it, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. That's not a spoiler, I promise. Another very bright point of the movie for me was Chris Pine. I've always been a huge fan of the character Steve Trevor. And... I love what Chris Pine did with it. He added the perfect amount of humor, which as a whole, let me say, the movie really did have the perfect amount of humor that also matched some of the darker tones. Some of, I say some of because there weren't, now it wasn't as dark as the past DC movies, but it did have its moments where it was a little more dark. Uh, again, won't tell you those because it's spoiler. As for the villains... Can't really tell you very much about Ares because almost anything I tell you would be a spoiler. Dr. Poison, I thought she was a little bit underdone. Um, I thought in the comics she was much more ruthless, but the way they wrote the character to fit the film, it, all, it worked very well. It fit perfectly into the tone they were trying to go. Now, I know that as far as a spoiler-free review goes, that was absolutely terrible. But I'm so excited to dive into more of the deeper plot details that I'm going to put the spoiler warning up now. If you listen to this beyond this point and you hear a spoiler, you are on your own. I don't care. I feel no sympathy for you, etc., etc. If you would like to skip ahead to the Q&A, skip ahead roughly eight and a half minutes from right now. The thing that I was most disappointed with in this movie was the fact that they killed off Steve Trevor. Now, I understand why they did it, and it definitely took me by surprise, which is what it's aimed to do. And it also fit the storyline perfectly as it helped Diana become and who she really is and helped display her full power because she realized as she'd been preaching all along, love conquers all. So I understand why it was there, but the disappointment was strictly on me. In my mind, I had it set up that the sequel, much like Patty Jenkins, would take place not long after the first one. 
And it would also include Steve Trevor, which apparently they are considering his return. Now, I don't know how that's going to happen, obviously. Maybe just some flashbacks from some scenes that we didn't see or whatever. But they are considering Steve Trevor's return. But obviously, we won't get an official announcement on that until probably after Wonder Woman has hit DVD Blu-ray. Off of the top of my head, I have no idea how they could possibly include him in a sequel unless it was just flashbacks. I mean, we saw pretty clearly that when he shot those barrels that contained the gas, I mean, he, he was right there. there. There was no escaping that unless you're freaking Superman. And let's call it what it is. Uh, Steve Trevor is not Superman. I did think Chris Pine embodied that role absolutely perfectly, though. I would not have changed a single thing he did about that character. He was skeptic of Diana's beliefs, as we saw towards the end. But then he also believed in her as a uh, quote-unquote human being. Obviously, before I even say this, Chris Pine already denied these rumors. But there were some heavy rumors that he was given the option to decide between whether he wanted to play Hal Jordan or Steve Trevor. He denied those, I'll say it again. But if for some reason those were true, I still think he made the correct choice in picking Steve Trevor because in my mind, he is Steve Trevor. And what I saw from that portrayed it absolutely perfectly from sacrificing himself at the end for the greater good of mankind. And he wanted to be that hero. I love that about him. He wanted to be that hero. He showed everything that a man, a human man wants to be as far as courage and bravery goes. That's what Steve Trevor is in the comics. And I'm so glad that that is how it was interpreted into the movie as well. Now, I literally have zero complaints about Gal Gadot. I thought she was brilliant. She was stunning, beautiful. She is Wonder Woman in my eyes. And the fact that there was really ever any question when she was cast kind of confused me. Sure, she was a, you know, kind of a no-name. In fact, uh, here's a little fun tidbit for you. Before she got the Wonder Woman audition, she was heavily considering retiring from acting altogether. But as far as portraying Wonder Woman, some people, uh, like Fox News, and I'm not showing any political affiliation there because they literally posted the article or they had it on their show or something saying that Wonder Woman in this movie was not American enough. Well, no shit. She's not American. She's from Famascara. She's from a she's from a fictional island of Amazons. But that's a topic for another day. A lot of people were very upset when she was first cast because she didn't have the bone structure or the muscles that Wonder Woman is supposed to have in the comics. Who cares? One, it's a fictional character. Two, she has superpowers. She was literally molded from clay. When they're molding a female or a male or any person from clay, do you really think the gods at that point care what she really looks like? No. All they care about is what does she represent. In this case, she was the god killer. I thought well, that was another good twist. I mean, if, if you're familiar with the comics, you obviously knew that twist was coming. But I saw the movie with some people who weren't, and I saw that kind of chuckle that, you know, oh, okay, I like that. I saw that in them, and that made me a little excited. Not like erection excited, but, you know, excited, excited. I mean, truly, have we not learned to trust a lot of these studios when it comes to casting decisions? Sure, a lot of people didn't like Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor, but as far as your main characters go, have they not absolutely nailed it? Did DC not absolutely nail Ben Affleck 
as Batman. He is literally the the Batman. Like when you, if you read Batman comics, if you've ever read a Batman comic, he portrays that perfectly from a personality standpoint. I mean, listen, there's a debate, you know, Batman kills or whatever. That's a story for another time. But when you look at him and when you see the way he portrays Bruce Wayne and Batman, I mean, that's Batman. That's the Batman. Same goes with Heath Ledger and the Joker. I remember everybody threw a fit when he was cast. Have we not learned our lesson from that? Give these people a chance before you throw them under a bus. I am so, so glad Gal Gadot absolutely owned this role. She is Wonder Woman. Obviously, based on the reviews from both peer and critic, everyone else agrees. So for those of you who still disagree, that's completely on you, and I have no idea what interpretation of Wonder Woman you were expecting or what you have read in the comics that would suggest that she does not embody this role absolutely perfectly. Literally, I have zero complaints about it. I mean, listen, I don't have a lot of complaints about anything, especially when it comes to comic book stuff, but this is one thing where I don't see how you could have a single complaint. Maybe, 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 maybe the only complaint you could possibly have is, well, she's not an experienced actress. So she's not. Obviously, that's not an issue moving forward. Let's talk about Ares. A lot of people were disappointed with the reveal of Ares, and I waited until this point because obviously if you're still listening, you've seen the movie. Ares is not who we expected it to be. A lot of people saw the twist coming. I personally didn't. I have no problem admitting that. I was caught off guard by it. Uh, I loved it. I also expected the character to change into Ares more or less than just all of a sudden have armor come out of nowhere and cover him. That is not a slam in any sight that the actor who portrayed Ares because he, he is a great actor. I just thought, I, I would have done it personally a little bit different, but like I've said in the past, this is Patty Jenkins' film. This is not my film. So I don't really feel like I should have much of a say when it comes to that. But as an opinion, yeah, I, I probably would have done it a little differently or at least made the character um, bigger, I, I, I would say, in personality and in size. I would have probably made him a little bigger. I don't think he did a bad job by any means, but from an opinion standpoint, I would have done it a little bit differently. Dr. Poison, let's talk about that for a second. Uh, I went to see this movie with Rich Guzzi. Um, by the way, go check him out, richguzzi.com. He's a very famous comedian hypnotist. He is also one of my best friends who I've had the pleasure of knowing for several years, and I trust his opinion on this. His exact words were, I really wanted to see her die. And I agree with that. I mean, obviously, she was being controlled by Ares, as we saw that, you know, he had the power to do. But still, she did a lot of wrong. And I would have loved to have seen Wonder Woman drop that tank on her. Just an opinion. And I'll leave it at that. I would love to know what everybody else thought about the movie, uh, spoiler-free or not. Hit me up on Twitter, Ross Aydun. Let me know what you thought. In the meantime... Let's do a Q&A. 
every podcast, I answer questions that I get on social media that I feel that maybe more than one person may be interested in knowing the answer to, should I have one. If you have any questions, hit me up on Twitter, at Ross A. Dillon, or just search Ross A. Dillon on Facebook and you'll see a picture of my fat ass. Not literally. Let's get started. First question, what do you expect to be announced or shown off at San Diego Comic-Con next month? Okay, these are the things that I expect to be showing off at San Diego Comic-Con, and I'll follow that up by things that I think are possible. First thing that I expect to be seen is the first trailer for The Punisher on Netflix. I think it's about time. That's the perfect situation to do it. So, yeah, it mashes up. The second thing that I think we will see at Comic-Con in July, a new Justice League trailer that includes at least a glimpse of Superman. Now, those are the only two things that I personally expect. You know, take the glimpse of Superman, give it or leave it, but we know that DC is going to have a huge presence at this San Diego Comic-Con, so I expect definitely we'll get a new Justice League trailer. Now, here are a few things that maybe we'll get. A few casting announcements for upcoming DC movies. The first Infinity War trailer. A new trailer for The Defenders. A new trailer for Black Panther. A new trailer for Thor Ragnarok. Maybe some MCU casting news. That's about all I can think of off the top of my head. I'm sure I'm missing a bunch of things. Uh, Let me know on Twitter what else you'd like to see and what else you think will be there. Next question. Wonder Woman makes DC 4 for 4 on hitting $100 million during its opening weekend. That's domestically. What movie will end that streak? This is going to absolutely pain me to say. But I do think Aquaman will end that streak. Now listen, that's not saying I think Aquaman is going to be an incredible movie. I have no doubt it will be. Jason Momoa uh, completely embodies that character because it's a completely new character than what we're used to as far as Aquaman goes. But all the other characters, it's, it's going to be very character-driven, obviously. Like, like any movie is not character-driven. I don't know why I just said that, and I don't know why other people continue to say it. But whatever. Uh, unfortunately, I think Aquaman will end that streak just because he's not as mainstream as what Wonder Woman is. And I think Wonder Woman ended on just over $100 million for his opening weekend. I know I said in the opening um, rundown that it was like $100.5 million, but I think it's actually closer to $103 million. That, that makes no difference, really. But I have a hard time seeing Aquaman just because his level of popularity and just because people, as much as it has changed, which it has, people still kind of consider the character a joke. And I say people, I mean people who are not familiar with comic books or have not seen the Justice League trailer. So, you know, maybe the Justice League movie will change that. I've heard that Aquaman completely steals the show in the in the Justice League movie. Uh, so let's, f- fingers crossed. It, I definitely think it could break 100 million, but uh, it's as of, as of right now, I'll, I'll stick to my guns and say it'll fall just short. I think we're looking at maybe between 75 and 90 million. That's just a guess, but of course, we're still over a year and a half away from that, so that guess is going to be totally wrong. It'll change a hundred times, too. Next question, what did you think of the new intro for DC movies? I personally loved it. 
I think that a lot of the clickbait sites have gotten over dramatic about it. I think it's just a generic intro. I think it's a really, really cool generic intro. I think it was inspired by a lot of the animated stuff they do. Now, do I think it foreshadows a lot of the characters that will come into the DC Extended Universe? No. I think it's just a generic intro, a very cool one at that. But there were so many different characters in that, and I, I'm not spoiling anything if you haven't seen it. You can find it online now as is. It's really cool. But there were a lot, a lot of characters in that that I don't see making the transition uh, into the extended universe anytime soon. That's not to say it couldn't be in the far future, because there, there were so many characters, it would have to be the far future to get those characters in. Next question, when are we getting a new season of Daredevil? Uh, funny you ask, actually, I believe maybe late last week, it may have actually been this weekend, that they, uh, I think it was Entertainment Weekly said that as of now, Daredevil Season 3, Luke Cage Season 2, and Jessica Jones Season 2, which we already know is filming, so I think Jessica Jones is the only one of those that's really, really, like, completely confirmed, but those are supposedly supposed to release in 2018, so we may have a big year next year for Netflix series. Any word on when the Punisher series releases? Uh, I believe one of the producers, maybe it was a writer, kind of hinted that it's going to be a November release. So that's something to look forward to after the Defenders in August. Next question. If you could cast one role in any superhero movie, who would it be? Okay, this is a tricky one. Because I have a lot of personal fan castings. I think the one I'm going to go with... I actually said it on the Shop Talk podcast this week. Uh, definitely go check that out. Again, you can find it on iTunes. I'm going to go, and this it won't be a popular voice of opinion, to say the least. I want to see John C. McGinley as Norman Osborn. I think as of right now, if I could cast anyone, it would be John C. McGinley as Norman Osborn. If you don't know who John C. McGinley is, he's a very, very, very underrated actor, in my opinion. He played one of the Bobs in Office Space, and he also played Dr. Cox on Scrubs. I think he would be a wonderful Norman Osborn, and I really, really hope, if for the 0.1% chance that that ever happens, I really hope there's a line where he refers to Spider-Man as newbie. Next question. I saw where Man-Ape is going to be in Avengers Infinity War. Do you think they will actually call him Man-Ape in the MCU? Um, good question. I don't know the answer to that. Um, I think Man-Ape has... Man-Ape is the alter ego. I think it's M'Baku. Maybe. I, I don't know too much about that character, but I think it's M'Baku. I wouldn't be surprised if they just call him by that. Now, Shane Bailey made a good point about this on, again, the Shop Talk podcast, where, you know, calling him that kind of goes against what they worked for and let's call it the Black Panther universe and in the comics. But I can understand where politically this would cause a lot of tension among uh, social media. So if I had to say right now, Again, I don't know, but I would say they just go with M'Baku. Next question. What show are you most excited for, Runaways or Cloak and Dagger? 
Uh, Cloak and Dagger for me. I've always enjoyed the characters, but I'll honestly admit that I don't know too much about them other than when they've done what they've done in the crossover comics like Civil War and stuff like that. I know absolutely nothing about the Runaways, but I've always been fascinated by Cloak and Dagger. I love the romance there. Uh, so I'm excited to see what I believe it's Freeform, what used to be ABC Family, will do with them. Uh, the first trailer for the series looked really good. So uh, I have a lot of hope going into that series. And I believe both of those also come out in 2018. Next question. Have you heard if we'll see Better Ray Bill in the MCU at all? <laughs> I hope so. I love Better Ray Bill and I think a lot of other people do too. I will say this. If we're going to see him in the MCU, I am 90% certain it will be in Thor Ragnarok just because of the Planet Hulk scenario. And also, he, he's more typically a Thor character. Next question. Any word on what Green Lantern is going to show up in the Justice League movie, if any? I don't know. From what I've been told, it will not be Jon Stewart and it will not be Hal Jordan. Uh, I think it's going to be kind of a rare character, maybe, if any shows up at all. So we'll see. Uh, I have my theories on that, but like I said, I've addressed that in previous uh, episodes of the podcast. You can go check those out. Rate the season finales of all of the Arrowverse shows. Okay. I'll admittedly say I haven't got the Supergirl season finale. I think I'm two episodes away from that. I have it on DVR and I'm continuing to watch them. So if I have to rate them right now in order from one to three... I'm going to go definitely Arrow at number one. I love how that ended. I'm not going to give any spoilers to it, but it was, it, it is a cliffhanger. It is definitely a cliffhanger. Well, I mean, it, quote unquote cliffhanger. We, we, we know what kind of happened and what didn't. We just don't know how. Number two, I'm going to go Legends of Tomorrow. I enjoyed the way that ended. I enjoyed this season overall. I've, I've always enjoyed Legends. I don't think it gets the credit it deserves. Granted, there's some bad CGI and stuff, but it's a TV show. It's, it's supposed to be enjoyed and whatnot. We should just be lucky that we're seeing some of these obscure characters. Uh, you know, get some television time. It's, I think it's awesome. And three, Flash. It's a close three. Flash. I didn't care the way that ended. Again, I don't want to talk about any spoilers, but it just... I, I don't know, and I, and I know they've set up the Thinker to be the season uh, four villain. Again, I'm not crazy about that. If that's in case the route they go, I would much rather see the Rogues get some more love because I absolutely love love the Rogues in this show. I think they've casted them perfectly. Um, so I hope they at least show up some more. But and, you know, who knows? Next question. What did you think of the season finale of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Uh, this will be the last question I do, actually. Mainly because, again, it's got some spoilers in it. Uh, and I'm not going to give away any spoilers as to what happened. But I thought the season finale to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was better than all of the Arrowverse finales combined. I absolutely loved it. I loved what they did with Ghost Rider this entire season. Um, I will say this, though. Kind, they're not really spoilers. It's more speculation. There's no hint given to well, like, no real hint given to this in the finale. So I'm not really spoiling anything. I will say this: sword and man on the wall. If you've seen the season finale and you're familiar with uh, Marvel comics, you'll know exactly where I'm going with those. If you don't, 
and you've seen the season finale, be sure to Google sword. And that sword as an S period, W period, O period, R period, D period, and man on the wall. You'll see exactly what I mean by that, and I would love to get your theories on that. But that is all the time I have for this podcast. I hope you all enjoyed. Again, feel free to hit me up on Twitter with any questions, complaints, comments, remarks you may have. At Ross A. Dillon. I love talking to every single person. Feel free to slide in my DMs because as we discovered earlier, I am lonely and I'm running out of alcohol. So that is all from me. I will see you next time.